maybe you you've been with these people before, but you weren't tuned in. Okay, let's tune in. Let's watch how people interact. What do they talk about? Now you have information, which makes it easier to adapt and to be part of the conversation. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? The ADHD Essentials Parenting Groups will enter their 14th season at the start of next year. They're a powerful experience for everyone involved, but don't take my word for it. Here is a testimonial from Troy that he shared toward the end of his time in the 2022 summer session. I actually woke up thinking about this. And, and I just have to say that um, I think that the, the, the feel and the air and, and the, just the whole vibe in our house has changed. Every time we finish one of these sessions, it's almost like I feel closer to my kid. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. He's not even uh, there. Right. And I mean, yeah, I think, yeah. And it's like I always want to just, just want to go and, and, and hug them after we finish these sessions. Um, I also feel that you have given me permission um, to just like, chill out a little bit with being, uh, with being a parent um, and just give him space and give him room, just be a little bit more accepting. And so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I also, I'm just sort of like in, in awe of just uh, how wonderful uh, a father he must be. And that certainly has an impact on me. Again, just uh, I, I really, really enjoy these sessions, and I get a lot out of out of them for sure. The groups begin on Monday, January twenty third, and run for eight weeks. They meet on Mondays and Wednesdays at twelve p.m. Eastern or four p.m. Eastern. More information can be found at adhdessentials.com/parentgroups, or email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com, and we'll set up a time to talk. Of course, don't forget to check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb, and ADHD Diversified with MJ. If you want to support this show, a great way to do so is by providing a rating and review in your podcast player of choice. It helps others find the show, which helps us help more people. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Caroline McGuire. Caroline is a friend of the show and the author of Why Will No One Play With Me. She's also a social skills and ADHD coach. Caroline recently did a TED Talk about her social spy approach to improving our interpersonal skills. In today's episode, Caroline talks to us about being a social spy during the holidays. She shares how and what to observe when we first enter into social situations why it's so important to read the room, how to navigate our own sensitivity and help our sensitive kids manage theirs, 
and ways to gamify the teaching of social skills. All right, let's get rolling. So Social Spy, I'll just say, I'm not always a great noticer. And sometimes people with ADHD, we don't notice things, we don't observe them, we don't tune in on social cues. And so years ago, I started this thing called Social Spy. And it's basically that with a mission, like with something specific that you want to watch, you watch people, but not directly. So you're not being creepy. You're just scanning the situation and watching people. And you could do it for a specific thing, like what are people talking about in this conversation? Or, you know, oh, I'm not sure what that group in high school is talking about. Let me see. Or you could do it if you enter a situation like a holiday party to figure out, well, what's the mood here? Who's here? Um, Who's welcoming me? Who's not welcoming me? And to really kind of do people watching with intention so that you're paying attention to their body language, their social cues, and kind of what's going on rather than kind of ignoring it, running in, and then having everything kind of unfold on top of you. To me, it almost feels like a little bit of a game. It almost feels like you're gamifying social interactions and learning social skills, which is awesome. Can we also do it where it we're not paying attention to what that person thinks about us or how they feel about us and maybe do it in a way that's like, like pretending you're an introvert, right? And, or maybe you are an introvert. I don't know. Caroline and I are extroverts, <laughs> but maybe you're looking at a group of people and observing them and going like, like I could, I could see myself doing this with my kids where we're at like some social event and I'm like, see those kids over there or that group of people over there. Who do you think is the leader in that group? Who do you think they like don't really want to be there, but is there? And those kinds of questions to get my kids looking for clues about other folks. Is that an element of this too? Or am I going off in a not so useful direction? No, you're going in a very useful direction. That's exactly what it's for. It's meant to figure out who's there, who's the leader, what's the dynamic that's going on, and to do it without caring what people think is I think about making sure we don't lead ourselves into rumination. But here's my sales pitch. We probably make more social gaps or we stumble into things and don't have our best foot forward or even don't get to be part of the conversation when we don't pause and spy and scan the situation. You know, if you you see someone's in a mood, it doesn't mean you have to take that as about you. Mm -hmm. It just could mean that you know your boss is in a mood and, and then you're spying over time to figure out how do I know when they're in a certain mood and what is their past behavior in that situation and what does that mean about how they're going to receive my messages. That mood has nothing to do with you. And I know that for some ADDers, they're super sensitive, but they're probably spying already. It's really about those of us who rush in to know that, okay, let me look what's going on. Or even, you know, for my inattentive friends, let me pick up what's the dynamic. So I'll just tell a short story. I had someone who said to me the other day that they really struggle um, in groups. And one of the reasons they struggle in groups is trying to figure out 
who's doing what, who knows who, especially if they're new to it, that's where spy can come in, right? Maybe you, you've been with these people before, but you weren't tuned in. Okay, let's tune in. Let's watch how people interact, who they interact, what do they talk about. Now you have information which makes it easier to adapt and to be part of the conversation. This is reading the room, right? Which is, I think, one of the last episodes you were on. We talked about that. This is just another version of reading the room is what it sounds like. It's a quick way to read specific things. And it's kind of what people who read the room do. The reason I always say it's like with a mission is that if you just scan the room, there's so much data coming at you. Whereas if you're like, I'm going to look and see who is welcoming, who makes overtures for me, like something specific, you know, like you said with your boys, like who's the leader versus I'm just trying to read the entire situation. That's harder than buying and looking at a piece of this. Yeah. So this is reading the room only with a specific purpose in mind, right? Like there's an assignment in the course of reading this room. We want to know who's welcoming. We want to know who's glad to see me. Maybe who's feeling a little overwhelmed, who might need a little bit of help. Because that's a useful thing to know too, right? If we can roll into a holiday party, say, because we're talking about holiday stuff here. If we can go in and notice like, oh, that person is clearly feeling overwhelmed and they're the host, or they're one of the people who lives in the house, might be overwhelmed because they have too many things to do. I'm feeling unsure of myself because I just walked in. I'll feel maybe more comfortable if I go over to that person and I can help them because I'm a helper and this gives me something to do. So I can say, hey, do you need any help? Can I like assist you in, I don't know, bringing out hors d'oeuvres or scrubbing the kitchen sink dishes stuff? That might be another strategy because we then have a an agenda as we come in. Am I on to something here? To have a job allows you to sort of be part of things, but to feel less self-conscious. But you can only know that you could do that job that you're describing if you pause and spy and just see that that host is overwhelming or, or just look for a second. Part of why we sometimes say the wrong thing at the wrong time is that we don't notice someone is there who might not like our joke or who we know about them and we know their history, but we don't spy. And so we just go like barging in. Part of what I talk about in the TED is that people show what they are feeling with their gestures and their body language. And we historically, I'll just say, I didn't always watch that. And so part of this is becoming like someone who watches for those signals. Can I activate my teacher brain and be like, here's how yeah. to do this, oh, listeners. You can do this for yourself. You can do this with your kids if you're one of the parents who listens. Watch a TV show and pay attention to what they're doing. And you can even watch an episode, like a 22-minute episode or whatever. Friends is an especially good show for this because they overact everything. All of their emotions are really, really well-defined because of how they act in that show and because they're overacting and it's not like a ridiculous degree it's just everything is exaggerated but because it's exaggerated it's a lot easier to pick up on their emotions and that's why they're doing it then 
we can see examples of what are these gestures? What are these body language cues? What are the facial expressions? And then we can have an idea of what to look for in a real social situation. It'll be a little more muted. It'll be a little more downplayed, but we, we're more likely to find those cues if we have examples of what those cues look like. And TV shows, that's the point of them, especially sitcoms. Sitcoms always overdo it a little bit. I use a lot of TV shows with kids, especially this is a hack for parents. If your kid is like, nothing's wrong. I don't offend anyone. It's all in your head. When I go to college, everything will be fine. Kids say this to me all the time. It's you and my mom, blah, 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 blah. I will have them watch certain TV shows where someone's like really outrageous, like the episode of The Office where Dwight is at Benny Hanna and he talks about Skinny McGoose with everybody at Benny Hanna. And those kids may do some of those offensive things, but I don't point that out. I just say like, hey, what do you think of what he just did? And they're like, oh my gosh, like it's so insensitive. Like, and now I have a door open and I can sort of step in and say, what do you think is the impression people have when you always tell the truth no matter what, you know, whatever it is, and we can get talking about it. And it's like a roundabout way rather than the direct way that parents tend to do it. And I totally know why you do this because you're desperate where we're like, stop doing that. You always do that. It's offensive. People don't like it. Right. But they don't see that it's offensive because of weak executive function. And so all they do is like put up their deflector shield and tune you out. And some of that is we need to ask questions. We need to say to our kids, like, how do you think your uncle felt when you were talking to him about Roblox for three and a half hours <laughs> at Christmas Eve breakfast? <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh my God, that's so something that that's happened. Um, you know, and I love this one show called Psych. So one of the things I do with Spy, they do on Psych, which is that I ask kids to go somewhere and close their eyes and have observed quickly and then be like, what's all the exits here? Who has on a hat? And that's an exercise they do in Psych. And I think it's like a really great thing because it's gamifying it, but you're getting them to be better observers so that when they enter a situation, they have that mental understanding that you should look who's here and what they're about and what they're doing before you just start talking about Roblox. I want to I swing back to the sensitive person too, because that's certainly an ADHD thing. And I, I think the sensitive person has some important lessons hiding inside of them. Because the sensitive person who might observe everything and notice all the things because they're sensitive, but they're also more likely to take that stuff personally. And they're more likely to say like, Uncle Jim left because I went over to talk to him. And they don't know that Uncle Jim was talking to Sally about Roblox for three and a half hours before they walked up to him. <laughs> and Uncle Jim left because he was just done with kids and he didn't want to get stuck in another Roblox conversation, even though this kid wasn't going to do that. I think it's important to recognize when we're either prepping our kids for a, a Christmas Eve dinner, breakfast, whatever, to prep them for if it's a sensitive kid, folks are not that concerned about you in the nicest way possible. But like right. the sensitive kid and really 
most young adolescents, so most kids in like middle school ages, so like early teenagers, just before they become a teenager sometimes, they have a very self-centered lens on the world. It's developmentally appropriate. It's supposed to happen. They're not like narcissists. It's just how the brain works. And that self-centeredness leads them to feel like there's always a spotlight on them, even though there generally isn't a spotlight on them. And our sensitive kids are especially going to feel that way. Um, and so guiding them through that, I think, is a piece of this that we need to make sure we touch on. The sensitive kids I work with definitely observe everything. And one of the things that comes up sometimes is their expectation that other people are sensitive. And so they'll say things to me like, conversation's hard for me. So my friends should have invited me, should have facilitated it, should have done such and such, should have done this, because they know that. And I'm like, well, you have to realize teenagers are developmentally very selfish and they would have to have noticed that about you and have, you know, their cap on where they think I'm going to help relieve Sally's burden. And is that teenagers? And they'll laugh and be like, no, the more we can also help sensitive people know that they kind of have a superpower and they're picking up stuff. Other people are not picking up <laughs> and therefore other people don't have bad intentions, but they aren't thinking about you. They're not facilitating your conversations and helping you out, but they're also not reacting to you as much. I had a teenager who, there was a mean girl and the mean girl told her, you know, basically like, I'm friends with these people you're friends with and they're going to listen to me and they're going to pay attention to me and they're all about me and I'm going to like take them away from you. And my girl spied. And she noticed that those other people didn't bother with the mean girl at all. And they didn't even acknowledge her in the cafeteria or the hallway. And if she said hello, because this girl was telling her, I have all this power. If she said hello, they were like agnostic, like, oh, hey. She started to realize, wait a minute, maybe this person isn't really friends with, with these people. Maybe they're not really all powerful like Oz or something, right? And so even if you're sensitive, you could use spies for good, right? And therefore know that like, what are the real dynamics? And our sensitive folks pick up on the real dynamics. We just need to make sure that they don't attribute those dynamics to themselves when it's really about the roadblocks or whatever. In case anyone needs to hear this, if you're ever in that situation, you just go and tell your friends what that person said. <laughs> Like, that's true. how you fight that. You just go, I can't, I can't believe what this person just said. They just told me they're going to take all my friends away. Like, that's not cool. And you can kind of laugh it off. You don't have to make it into a huge drama. But what happens is if those friends start to distance from you later, because that other person is yanking them away, you can go, wow, it's actually working. And then it undermines the strength and power of the bully because the friends that are worth keeping around at least are like, oh, we're being manipulated by that person. And you told us this was going to happen a month ago. And we laughed about it. A hundred percent. But I love that she spied. I mm -hmm. love that she was like, what am I going to do? Right. And, you know, sometimes our shyer people aren't as bold to go up and say, hey, this is what someone said about me. But it was like, I wasn't around you know, her parents weren't around. She was trying to figure it out. And she was like, I'm going to watch and see if there is this like all powerful, you know, yeah. oligarchy going on here. Like, it's just a real life example. Or 
you know, I think for our sensitive folks to try to think about, you know, what else could it be, right? If someone leaves the party, rather than attributing it to yourself, what are the hundred other things that it could be? And do you have any evidence it's you? Usually when I talk to my sensitive ruminators, there is no evidence that it's you. There's a million reasons it could not be you. And also, oh, sensitive folks, don't anticipate. I fall into this trap all the time, which is why I know that you shouldn't, right? Like, <laughs> especially with my family, I more often than not know what they need before they know that they need it. And I've learned that I have to like rein that in and just wait and let them tell me or at, at a minimum ask. I can't just show up with a cup of hot chocolate. You know, I have to be like, you seem like you're feeling a little stressed. Do you want some hot chocolate? Even though I know 100% my kid wants hot chocolate. Like that's what needs to happen right now. Because my asking, one, makes me feel seen. And if I don't do that, I don't feel seen. And I start to feel taken advantage of, or at least taken for granted. And two, especially with my kids, but also with my, my wife, it's a way to say to them, I notice you. I'm aware of what's going on for you. And that's important too. And, and it's also important for my kids to hear like, oh, this, this behavior is why dad thinks that I'm feeling upset, frustrated, whatever, so that they know what I'm seeing. And that helps them be a social spy for themselves and potentially other people as well. And it's so important because you're marking the bit, you're marking the emotion so that even if they don't have touch with their mind body connection, you're marking it so that they can go, oh yeah, I am a little disturbed right now. And the other thing you said that I love is what's going on for them. One of the reasons that I think sometimes we as ADHD people alienate people is that if I just lost my sister today and I am upset, I am as, especially as a neurotypical, sending out signals that I'm struggling, et cetera. And I think you're going to pick up on those signals. But if we don't pick up on those signals, and we don't look at what's going on for people and we barge right in and we talk about only our stuff, then they think we're really insensitive. And we don't mean to be, right? We don't mean to be at all. We have the biggest hearts ever. So part of SPY is to pause and scan and observe and look and see what is going on for people. And that can make us, maybe we don't pitch something to the boss tonight because he seems like in a very bad mood. Maybe we recognize somebody who is in an emotional state who needs our help or who would love for us to just adapt a little bit and not barge in with our story about parking or whatever and check in with them. And therefore, they see and are connected to us rather than feeling like, oh, my God, can you not see what's going on? And this is also connected to the whole concept of askers versus guessers or tellers versus guessers, that communication style where some folks are just going to tell you what they want. They're just going to ask for the thing that they want, right? And other folks are going to imply that they want that thing, but not actually come out and ask for it. And we have to kind of, if we're on the receiving end, we have to guess at what this person may or may not want. We need to anticipate that. And if you're a guesser, which is really a social spy skill, it kind of jacks your social sky spill skills up to the moon. You become really adept at reading the room and reading people and all that stuff. But 
you feel overloaded and bombarded when someone just comes out and asks. And you also can feel totally unseen if you're hanging out with an asker or a, and a teller and they're not anticipating your needs because that's not how they grew up. That's not the culture that they came up in. So in their world, like if people need something, they tell you. Right. You're not supposed to guess. So now we're like, well, that person's just rude because they're not doing what I need. That's in here too. What you just hit on that I'm so excited about is what it is, is are you spying on the people in your, let's just take workplace Mm -hmm. to figure out who's an asker and who's a teller. And so that you can anticipate a little more. When I interact with so-and-so, I'm going to have to tell them I need that data by five o'clock. I can't imply it because they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. So-and-so is an asker. So they're going to say, what do you need? And when do you need it? And to spy and try to look at simple things like that, you know, who's data driven? Who really needs me to spend five minutes talking about their kids before we get into a harder subject. All of that, the asker, the teller, all the things you're bringing up, you achieve knowing them by spy. And some people do it very naturally. But a lot of us with ADHD, we have the capacity to do it, but we just don't do it. And therefore, we make assumptions And I talk about this in the TED Talk. It's actually our assumptions that have been shown to keep us all apart because I make an assumption and I write a story in my head about you. And then when you don't match up to the story, I'm like, why didn't you give me that data? And the holidays are an important time to think about this because we often have extended family getting together, right? So all of a sudden there's aunts and uncles who some of them came up in the same family as mom or dad and are going to have sort of the same assumptions, but all the people they're married to, maybe not, right? They might be coming from completely different culture and a completely different family background. And that means cousins are going to have a blend of the two and they're not going to be the same as what your kids are expecting and how your kids operate. We, we need to be able to navigate that when we get together with family. One of the things I've been talking about in schools lately is that sometimes in order to accommodate a student, We have to first accommodate the teacher because the teacher might find this accommodation offensive and we have to help them understand why it's not. That fidget toy that the kid is playing with, that's not a class disruption thing. That's not what that is. It's helping this kid focus. So I get it that when you were a kid, you weren't allowed to play with G.I. Joe figures in class, but this kid gets to have his Batman action figure because it's actually like really effective at helping him focus or whatever. And connected to that, I think, is helping to accommodate Extended family, especially aunts and uncles, to navigate our kids, especially if our kids have ADHD, because the default question drives me bananas. The default (laughs) question at every family get together is, so how's school going? If you've got a kid with ADHD, if you've got a kid with with anxiety connected to school, they don't want to answer that question. They don't want to talk about school. And because you led with that, they don't want to talk to you. Right. Because the topic is uncomfortable. So they're going to be like, it's fine and try to get out of there. As parents, we can clue our the aunts and uncles in about better stuff to talk to our kids about, even if it's stuff they know nothing about, like ask our kids about it and see if we can get them to go somewhere. Also, we as parents tend to get embarrassed. So the kid is like, school's fine or I hate school. 
And we as parents tend to come and jump in and try to facilitate the kid talking about that topic. And I think that's where we could actually shift our role. And instead of being embarrassed, step into the kid's shoes. For that kid, you just asked about something almost hideous. It's the wall of awful, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely it is. I don't ask about people's proctology exams. I don't ask about people's divorce. To that kid, this is the divorce. This is like the thing I'm hoping no one asks me about or that is so hard to talk about, you can't be polite about it. And so rather than jumping in and like reprimanding that kid, what if you facilitate like Uncle Buck, you know, my kid loves to talk about Avengers or my kid loves karate. Um, He's not so much a school person. You know what I mean? And I noticed this with my son. People are always asking him about reading, but reading is really hard for him. So you don't want to talk about reading. He has a firm belief that he will just never read and it will be fine. And he'll, you know, like he has a whole fantasy world created because he's a little person. But if you ask him about reading, he's going to shut down because he doesn't want to talk about reading. Reading is like his Achilles heel. So I wouldn't say to that person like, oh, he has to talk about it. I want to help facilitate what are his strengths. Yeah. What will he talk about to you? Roadblocks, by the way, being one of those topics. Right. And adults have to be ready for that, right? Adults have to be ready to talk about the thing that they don't understand. And critically, don't just nod along. If you get confused, ask questions. Let the kid be the expert because that's fun for them. They're already talking about a thing that they love. Like, let them know a lot more than you and you be sit at their learning tree for a change. That's an okay thing to do. I think it's okay for adults to go up to a kid that they see at the holidays or at a family reunion or whatever that they know doesn't like school and just say, hey, so not a fan of school, huh? Yeah, not really. And if you weren't a fan of school either, you can say that. I didn't really like school that much either. You're not going to undermine this kid's academic future if you commiserate (laughs) with them about how school is not the greatest thing in the world. Like that, you're allowed to do that. And further, if the kid is an introvert, I have learned from my son, there are some fun questions you can ask introverts that you can't ask anyone else. And they're social spy questions. One of the questions that I got the most mileage out out of with Gavin was I said to him one day, because we were driving around and, and we went through a phase where we drove around a lot and we would have conversations. And I kept trying to ask, like, what'd you do in school today? Who did you talk to? Who are you hanging out with? Who are your <laughs> friends? And like, did not work. And one day I was like, wait, hold on. He's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. All of my questions are extrovert biased. What if I try to think about introvert questions? So I said to him, I was like, What's the most middle school thing you observed someone doing today? Ooh. Right? He lit right up. It it took him like, he had to think about it for about 30 seconds. Then he was like this. Because introverts observe, right? Like a lot of introverts are doing that social spy stuff by default, even if they don't know they're doing it. And they might not be doing it for a purpose. So there's still places to refine. But he was like, this was the thing. I learned I could ask that question every once a week, once every two weeks, and I'd get mileage out of it. If I did it more than that, it felt too gimmicky and I would lose them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but using like, what does your kid seem to dig and what do you know about them and how can you change your questions? You might get a little more mileage out of it. And then those sort of 
I don't want to say weird, but those sort of out of the box questions, give them to like whoever the favorite aunt or uncle is, or like if grandma, whoever they have the best connection with, give those questions to that person to strengthen that bond. Unless there's like one specific person that you feel like you need to strengthen the bond with that isn't a favorite, but you may as well lean into the favorites. If there's dynamics with grandparents or aunts and uncles that always um, make it hard for your kid or make it hard for you to parent them, to have that conversation ahead too. Introverts are allowed to be introverts. They don't have to be extroverts, but with different generations, that really wasn't the case. And one of the ways I've explained it to some members of my family, which may or may not be helpful, is that my dad's a lefty. And when he went to Catholic school, they used to tie his arm to him. But we don't do that anymore because it's abusive. Yeah. And I've explained to some family members like, you know, introverts are allowed to be introverts now, just like we don't tie lefties arms to them anymore. It gets them talking about the past. They always have a great story about something that happened, you know, and then also to sort of point out maybe that person is like someone in the family. You know, he's like so-and-so. He's really, really good at this stuff. Talk to him about that just to help them along so that they get this kid's personality is this way and this is how they're going to interact with you. And they're a great kid, but they're not going to be the, the life of the party. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? There was a experiment done on the L in Chicago. They were trying to figure out if people would chat on the subway. Everybody said, no, no one's going to talk to you on the subway. And what they found that was 90% of people will talk to you on the subway. So don't assume spy. We assume we know how people are going to react, but you really don't know. So if you spy, you're going to get that intelligence that you need and that information versus if you just make the assumption like they did with the experiment where they found, they were like, nobody's going to talk to anybody. And then they found like people were happy to chat. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.